Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. Enjoy the podcast. It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. A very good morning and welcome to the weekly review live on Teachers Talk Radio, the show where we review the week in education. But Lionesses kick off in now is time in the World Cup final. And joining us today, we have the man who's as wise as an owl. He's John Gibbs, our very own Lioness, Hannah Wilson. And I tried to think of an animal, but I couldn't. Sorry, Fred. Fred Poland's also here. Um, We've got some big stories today. Of course, on Thursday, it was A-Level Results Day. Brent, Adam and myself led the discussion and the analysis of those A-Level Results on Thursday night. And we're going to dig into some of the other stories. And it's also worth noting that John Gibbs has also talked about this um, on Friday morning. He had Dennis Sherwood live on Teachers Talk Radio. Two fantastic shows to catch up on. But first, Ofqual's chief regulator, Joe Saxton has admitted that the widening regional attainment gap between North and South is uncomfortable and shows a picture that needs to be seen. But Ofqual has absolved itself of any responsibility for closing the gap, with Saxton arguing that resolving this was for policymakers and that Ofqual's job is to make sure that the rules were the same for everyone in exams, regardless of their postcode. The situation, however, is stark. The North East now has the lowest proportion of A-star and A-grades at 22%, surpassed by both the East and West Midlands, the North East and Yorkshire and the Humber, with the two regions which saw a reduction in A-star and A-grades compared to 20 while London saw a rise of 3.1 percentage points and the southeast two percentage points. Schools Northeast, a membership organisation for schools in the region, said that ministers must recognise that recovery and a return to 2019 is simply not good enough. And Sir Peter Lample, founder and chair of the Sutton Trust and Education Endowment Foundation, said that the overall picture today is one of growing disparity between the most and least well-off young people. Saxton, however, confirmed that exams in 2024 will return to normal. Have you heard that one before? Without grading protection, which ensured that results this year did not fall below those in 2019. So who is responsible for reducing a regional attainment gap. I'm going to ask John to start on this one for us. Well, before we started talking, we I, I said, well, if you didn't know that there were regional disparities, but, or, or you were told there were regional disparities if you hadn't seen these results, you'd draw a map and you'd probably say, well, it's, going to, it's probably going to be in certain areas of the country where there is economic difficulty, poverty, and so on. And, it's, and it's, that's turned it out. It's one of those bits of research where you say, well, how surprised am I not about this? The, the the use of a word like uh, uncomfortable. Oh, this is a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? Oh, uncomfortable. It's, it's, out, it's really quite outrageous. 
the and the and the and it because what it points to is something that we in this country have a sort of cultural tendency to shrug our shoulders about what can, what can you do sort of thing and we are what we're seeing is that from these exam results and from these regional differences and also the differences in wales and scotland and so on which were marked differently in this particular exams round there was a um that really the rule was that to those who had some kind of advantage more more advantage was given and to those with some disadvantage they found they were disadvantaged even more and it's it is more than uncomfortable it's something we should certainly address more urgently and with more political will and than we do mm. brent it does john's not surprised are you surprised and who's responsible for closing this gap well, I've been studying social sciences from the early 90s, and there was a north-south divide then, and, and, and here we have the north-south divide. I remember, I remember, Brent, um, sorry to interrupt you, in my second year of history degree, 19, 1930s um, north-south divide, Danny Dowling, the sociologist, um, and he drew a fascinating north-south line from the bottom of Wales all the way up to Lincolnshire, so Lincoln was in the south. That was a bit of a digress, so I'll let you carry on, Brent. No, no, it's true. I mean, the, the, I mean, Italy has the opposite. You know, um, if you wanted to, if you wanted to level up, where I would start was education. And going back to before COVID, it's a nice acronym. Before COVID, BC, I find a lot of what we're doing here is 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 actually quite ancient. And and, and as John has alluded to, if I if I layered over health statistics, uh, life expectancy, income funding and i layered those things over those exam results the positive correlation that i'd find between all of those social statistics and this outcome would be very very high the policymakers know this we were told there was a leveling up agenda oh where's that gone we were told you know that funding in schools should be going towards the areas where it's needed most we don't think it is and i can only see that gap getting wider because as we saw during covid the exam system it gamed towards advantaged students it is discriminating against disadvantaged students and it's also the political capital as well the regions don't always get their, their say so uncomfortable if this was the other way around imagine this was london and the southeast was four to five percent behind the north there would be absolute outcry so reverse that round reverse that trend and see how far that would go within the political system. So this is this has got to do with social policies and how education fits into social policy. So there's only one place I can squarely put this to. It's 13 years. These children have had full education system of one government. From when they started school to now, that is 13 years. That is nearly the total length of their education is squarely at the feet of one area. And to then say we're going back to normal, it's not good enough. That, that going back to normal wasn't good enough. So going back to normal, no, not, not acceptable. Mm, thank you for that, Brent. Um, Hannah, I'm going to ask you again, does this surprise you and who's responsible? Um, I don't think it necessarily kind of surprises me, but I just wonder whether it's kind of, in terms of exposure, like what these students are being exposed to in terms of that, that kind of culture capital. They say that like that was kind of one of the things they brought in to try and close the gap that we're exposing the the underprivileged students to the things that privileged students get to do, trying to increase that oracy in the conversations that the privileged would perhaps have around a dinner table that the other people that wouldn't necessarily have be able to have conversations around the dinner table because maybe they're working or circumstances. And it's that kind of 
like the opportunities the clubs the free things that these kids get to go to but also the transport to those things because the the clubs and things that they they're having the opportunity to go to that are going to broaden the horizons and and engage the students um are being reduced because of funding and then the transport to try and get to anything is also reduced so the further you go kind of up the country the more especially like in the countryside it's much harder to get to things and do things and expose those students to make the more rounded students that will which we know gives them better skills in exams so i just wonder whether in terms of, of that as kind of the squeeze is coming from from everywhere in terms of the opportunities available to students whether that we're seeing kind of the effect of that as well because obviously in london it's all on their doorstep they can walk to it there's loads of different opportunities a lot more free things as opposed to the further away from it the further the opportunities are Thank you for that. I, I, before we move on, I was looking at an interesting Twitter conversation the other day, which talked about the fact that in places like the Northeast and in rural Yorkshire, it's far more difficult to recruit teachers compared to London. And we 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 know there's some particular horror school horror horror story schools um, in London, and you'll be hear, hearing much more about that on TTR in the future. Um, but they're able to recruit teachers like that, and. Schools in the northeast and in the northwest are really struggling to recruit high quality teachers. John, do we think that's having a role to play a bit at all? Oh yeah, I mean it's another symptom of the of a of the problem. Uh, I, I was very, I think I've just got to want to agree with what Hannah says there about the the cultural capital is often lacking in areas where it's so, sort of difficult that difficult anyway to get to museums, to get to art galleries. And if you did a study of the schools who, because of funding problems, cut the extracurricular sorts of enrichment programs that find it difficult to get the speakers in you know you can see all sorts of london schools where they have a rich variety of people coming into the school to talk to students that that's not going to be the same in areas in the northeast but recruitment of teachers yes that's that's part of the mix it's part of the problem it's um it's it, it is going to contribute as well there's a, a, a gen we could start listing problems <laughs> and as a, a of the health it that contribute to those problems in those schools and that would be one of them mm, thank you now it's worth noting of course that teachers talk creator is brought to you in association with pearson edexcel their new student-centered french german and spanish 2024 gcse's catered to the needs of all learners regardless of their background, ability, or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills through inclusive and relatable content. The new Pearson MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Go and find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL. Our next story is all about T-levels and this alarming statistic that 33% of T-level students quit their course before the end of the two years and 9.2% did not pass all three components. We did ask the Minister for Skills, Apprenticeships and Higher Education, Robert Halford, if he'd join us um, because he accused some of the media reporting around this statistic to be misleading. Unfortunately, he didn't get back to us. Um, 
it, when we look at T-level dropout rates of 33%, Halfen claims that many of these students are moving on to a different course, including other T-levels. But when we look at the statistics compared to A-levels and other vocational qualifications, it's clear that T-levels stand out. The dropout rate for A-levels was just 5%, and for other vocational qualifications, it was 9%. This comes in the wake of the government's plan to acts most alternative qualifications to T-levels, such as BTEX, and Ofsted in a report before Results Day said that the DfE should rethink these wider level three reforms. The former Children's Commissioner Anne Longfield says that dull content and inappropriate placements are to be blamed, um, and Ofsted says, said in its report that students were misled about T-levels and employers were poorly informed. Senior leaders say that ministers need to drop the rhetoric, face the reality and rethink their plans for qualification reform, and the DfE has admitted that further action is needed to make T-levels a success. If we start with Brent on this one, government wants to axe B-tanks and other vocational reforms and make T-levels the gold standard, but it doesn't look as if the T-level is the gold standard. What do you think of this? You're on mute, Brent. Sorry. Yeah, this is the right hand, not telling the left hand what to do. I mean, I, I get very um, confused working in education and I work in education as to what T-levels are actually. So I work in education and I'm confused as to their, what they are. So I don't think they've sold this idea. I think they've just expected, as they often do by osmosis, that business would just come in and the market would sort it out. And, and in concept, theory, it sounds like a good idea. Vocational training with qualifications, with hands-on, sounds like a, not a bad idea. We need more of this type of stuff. But like everything else they've tried to do, they couldn't run a bath. They can't organize a shindig in a brewery. Well, God's sake. I mean, this is meant to be their flagship program, and it's like a dropout rate of 33%. Is it any wonder the majority of students still choose A-levels? Because they're a safe bet. You know what you're getting with A-levels. And you know that A-levels get you into university and you know that still with university, you have a degree and that opens doors. So the government is quite serious about trying to shift people into vocational training. It surely should have had its act together and got this organized well enough that someone who works in education could be promoting this. I should be saying to some of my students, do you think about doing T-levels? I haven't heard much about it. Where's the promotion for it? Where's, where is the kind of do two levels because this is the outcome. This is what you'll get from it. I don't think they've got the rationale correct. I just think they were hoping that business would step in and that the market, as it does, would sort itself out. It's not good enough. You, you can't have it both ways. You have to organize something. You have to invest in it. You have to sell it. You have to make sure it's the product that you are selling, which is T-levels, is, is airtight and solid if you want to shift people over. Just simply closing down one avenue and saying, we're going to shove you all into T-levels. We don't over the work yet, but we're just going to shove you into T-levels and hope for the best. It's absolute, it's ridiculous. It's And it's not fair because that's 33% of students who've gone in to something and have to change it. That's not fair on them. It's not fair on these young people. They deserve better than that. So they need to get their act together on this one. Mm. Thank you, Brent. Now, here's what the government says about T-levels. This is how they sell it. They say T-levels are an alternative to A-levels, apprenticeships and other 16 to 19 courses. Equivalent in size to free A-levels, a T-level focuses on vocational skills and can help students in skilled employment, higher study or apprenticeships. Each T-level includes an in-depth industry placement that lasts at least 45 days. Students get valuable experience in the workplace and employers get early sight of a new talent in their industry. And it's 
soldiers, students spending 80% of the course in the classroom and 20% on a meaningful industry placement, putting the skills into action. It sounds all well and good, doesn't it, Hannah? So what's going on and why, why do you think this isn't appealing to people? I wonder whether it's the students that aren't kind of necessarily academic and interested in A-levels that are being kind of shoved towards these when schools don't necessarily know everything about them and so oh why don't you just do one of those instead and kind of selling it as a different option but also in the respect of the employer are they kind of being the proper information in order to how to support those students and how to give them a good experience like in terms of teacher training we're quite often shot loads of paperwork given a 30 minute kind of demo of what we need to write in observations and things we need to look out for but it's not like a thorough process and if you're not in education and, and it's a similar thing like uh, you just need to tick these boxes and write this comment that they've done this but there's not that guidance for employers I think maybe the students might be having bad experiences with the employer and then being like oh god I don't want to do this anymore and it's it's I think especially in terms of the range of employers that can be there it, it, like I don't think they've necessarily put the time and effort in to make sure there's very specific guidance for all the different genres that they can go into and making sure those students are supported properly in that workplace as opposed to being it you just go in and you do some work and then you come back out again is it, it needs to benefit them and they need to gain skills and is it being delivered properly mm -hmm. thank you for that and finally um john um children former children's commissioner and guest of ttr and longfield has blamed dual content in inappropriate placements but they've got some high profile employers and the government on this t-level program is this a busted flush or what can be done to promote vocational qualifications for students who may not want to go on to a levels well i think i quite like the idea of t-levels i mean when i heard first heard about it, i thought i quite like the idea that's uh, it sounds like a good thing uh, i think it I think it is, as Brent says, half-baked. What's happened is they have failed to deliver. And I think, as Hannah says quite rightly, there's other, there's other, there are other reasons in there as well. If 30% of students have dropped out, then what's happening to those 30%? Well, some of them have turned up in a course that's too difficult for them because they've been misadvised, because it's not fully understood by schools exactly what these courses are. That's probably some of it. Others have experienced work placements that didn't live up to because they weren't ready, they weren't, they weren't good experiences, they weren't rich experiences, they weren't meaningful. And others have found that the course itself wasn't properly described to them or wasn't properly in place. So the whole series of things that are really a half-baked misfire. There is an underlying problem. I think it's something cultural. It's a, that, that T-levels are there to address, that BTECs before them didn't, and, and side by side with them, didn't quite address and that is the cultural bias we have in this country towards uh, the academic and away from what is perceived as dirt under your fingernails kind of activities. Students who say, well, students who you hear your young person is going to end up in a factory or a manufacturing or go out into a workplace sounds all a bit tradesman-like. And it's much nicer if they're going to sit in a classroom and listen to someone talking about history or English or so on. Although, or mathematics for that matter, in a purer sense. So people understand A-levels, they know what they are, they are the gold standard. And there's a suspicion of the vocational. Even when you try to burnish it with, they're going to be difficult, they're going to be hard and so on. I think in the end they'll work, to be honest. I think it's been a mess up, a half-baked mistake have been made. But I think they, they will work over time. Mm. 
Thank you for that, John. I should say very good morning to everybody listening to the weekly review on Teachers Talk Radio on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube, and of course on Twitter. We've hit 2,000 LinkedIn followers now, so thank you to everybody following us on LinkedIn. And if you'd like to comment and join the conversation, you can do so by tweeting us at TT Radio Official or replying to the streams on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook. We want to hear from you. We've got had people commenting in this morning from Germany and from Ghana. So a very good morning to everybody across the world who is listening to the weekly review. On to our final story of the day. Time for a Teachers Talk Radio exclusive um, as history teachers across the country following the OCR specification were in uproar on Thursday as the exam board moved students down by up to four grades in their non-examined assessment this year without adequate explanation. Teachers and students, the first they knew of this was on the morning the students opened their envelopes and the teachers got the results at 8am. At least two centres had students moved down from an A to a D, and some centres had students moved down by 16, 17 and 18 marks. The coursework is out of 40. OCR-led training on delivering the coursework unit, which is worth 20% of the overall grade, had to be rerun. As the exam board admitted, it was unclear. We spoke to history teachers who were heartbroken. One teacher told us the whole lot were downgraded, one by about 16 marks. Another teacher told us that in 15 years of A-level teaching, they had never had a coursework mark moved down. But this year, their top student was downgraded by 18 marks, or to put it another way, by four grades and the centre's moderation report did not explain why a student had been moved down by such a high number of marks. Yeah. Teachers Talk Radio also understands that some moderator reports were copied and pasted from others and candidate numbers referenced which did not match with any of the candidates for whom the centre had submitted work. Another history teacher told us just this morning that of the nine candidates whose coursework they submitted for moderation, only two candidates had their work moderated and yet all of the nine students had their marks moved down. If we start with Hannah on this, is this unique to history and what, what, what what's your reaction to this coursework moderation moving grades down by four grades in this instance so we had this very similar in our a few years ago the year before covid but this was across all the boards so we went um from being each of the units being out of 20 marks to 24 and when they changed it they shifted the goalposts and i got marked down um another lead practitioner got marked down and, and neither of us have been marked down in like 20 20 years of teaching between us we both marked each other's and and helped and and looked at loads of different peoples we've both been on the training and it, it, it was it was really just kind of a shock and it was everybody it was it was I remember the polls going on on the the Facebook groups of and the number of people that got marked down and it's and it's really disheartening as a teacher because it just it suddenly like gives you all this doubt and especially when they don't give you clear reasons as to why they've done it um, and we're the same like so we get 15 students pick they come in they look at the books and then if they're not within tolerance then they'll mark everybody down in the whole year um and it is it's just a harsh process and um i've seen people already comment in art this year that last year they got told they were 
um, really harsh on the marks and they could actually could have marked them up. And then this year they've been marked down and told them they were way too high. And it's kind of that we don't know where the goalposts are and we don't find out until much later, whereas it'd be much more kind of interesting to have that conversation there and then. Whereas like I had my moderated this year because they told me they were short on moderators. Um, I had my art moderated by a food tech teacher. Um, and I won't say what exam board it was, but I've also been on a panel with an exam board for art to discuss the art exams and and kind of what they could do to support art teachers because the art is overseen by a music teacher and the whole, all of their GCSEs and A-levels is overseen by a music teacher who does all the, all the creatives. Um, so it's, it's when there isn't even a specialist in the exam boards and they're dictating kind of what's going further down and you've got these people that have got these decades of teaching experience and it and it's kind of the goalposts have been moved and it's like the rug been taken under your under your feet you just feel completely blindsided and it's it's for the children as well because quite often they might move them down by five marks for our and and for us it's four marks between grades so it's they're all getting marked down by at least a grade and some more and it's just it's it's really it's tough to take as a teacher Thank you for that insight, Hannah. Um, John, what do you what do you make of this story? Um, well, unfortunately, grades being moved down by so many grades, and students and teachers not knowing until the morning of the results day. Well, that, the phrase you used, John, or that someone you used, you quoted, was heartbreaking, and that's especially true of coursework because coursework you have a very personal relationship with the students who do it. They are doing it in front of you. They've They've sought your advice at some point within the within the allowance of advice. You, if it's in art or something like that, you, the work has been going on. <laughs> You've seen them with it, and they've relied on your experience, and they've relied on your advice. And when you mark the grades, especially if after years of experience and knowing the students, and and years of those grades not changing, they change. How then do you explain that to the students without shrugging your shoulders and saying, "Well, I'm sorry, it's the system." but they're going to look at you as the person that's let them down. So it is particularly heartbreaking when this happens. It is another, it, the only explanation for this is some kind of pressure from above. It can't be any other explanation. If things like that change so dramatically and a num and quite a few people are saying they came down in my center and mine are moderated down. Last year, we hadn't had them change for several years. They changed this year. It's all part of an agenda to push down grade inflation. I'm not sure what is wrong with grade inflation. Really, there should be grade inflation. Every year, grades should go up if we're getting better at teaching, if schools are getting better resources. But nonetheless, there's a political motive to suppress grade inflation, and that, and coursework's a quite an easy one to manipulate. But when you manipulate those things, it produces an injustice and an unfairness, and a real slap in the face for teachers who have put, uh, I've been retired three years, but I still have a recurring dream that I've gone into school and someone has said, oh, you marked all the coursework and it'll be like it's due today. And I've, uh, there'd be a file of piles of coursework everywhere haunting me. <laughs> it's absolutely true. I've had that dream on multiple occasions and pouring over, you know, the grade boundaries. We must get the grade boundaries right, laying them all out on the table. Well, you have another look at the C's to B's. We might be a bit generous there and so on. And then off it goes. And some, oh, it's still down. <laughs> it's, it's incredible effort and work that went into that to be uh, reduced and, and, and failed. And then the other point I would observe about exams generally, if you've been in a restaurant, don't go into the kitchen, you don't want to know what goes on in there. 
you really don't really want to know about how exams are actually moderated and who examines them and so i've been an examiner i've sat in rooms and it's been fr a frightening experience uh, most of us in, in teaching really don't want to know how unfair and rather cat candid it all is well i well i on Thursday nights, I told Brent and Adam about what it's like being an examiner and some of the um, some of the stories that I wish I could say more, but maybe I'll wait and, wait until I'm able to uh, freely and fairly. Um, Brent, do John's remarks chime with you? And what do you what what how are you? What would you say to the teachers who have had their coursework marks downgraded, and of course the students who have had their marks downgraded? Well, I've had the nightmare of losing a piece of coursework. You've had that nightmare before where you think you've lost a piece of coursework. We've all done that one, haven't we? We're like, and then you find it the place that you put it in the first place because it means a lot. Because as John said, that's not just coursework. Sometimes the coursework is the thing that really gives the students confidence. Sometimes the coursework is the point where the students, it clicks because it is something intrinsically that they're interested in. And so much work goes in from the teacher point of view, choosing the right the topic, choosing the right, you know, scaffolding, the right amount of learning, you know, coursework. I, I, I think we should have more coursework back. What's really interesting is there's not as much coursework as they used to be. So they should be better at this, to be honest with you, because there's a lot less subjects have a lot less coursework. But I think it's another one of those humiliations and undermining of our profession, because how do you feel when you, look at the students and say, those are the grades that I'm giving you. That's my professional judgment. I've interpreted the will of the exam board. I've played everything by the rules. I played the game only for, as Hannah said, the goalposts to be moved. It must be infuriating when you think I've done everything right here as a teacher. I've done everything I can to get those children over the line. And yet you've just been undermined by some faceless bureaucrat who's just basically said, well, we need to take 5% off because we need These to faceless bureaucrats who are moderating down the coursework, as in the ones who are actually reading it and writing reports, are teachers, um, many of whom are middle leaders and senior leaders in schools around the country, Brent. True, but they work for a company and the company's paid a lot of money and they're paid a lot of money to provide a service. They should be better providing a better, more consistent and fair service. Sorry about that, but at the end of the day, they work for a company and that company should be providing a more consistent and a better service. And that is another example of why is it not one exam board, one exam for all the children across the whole of the country. I don't understand the exam system. Of because why Brett, if you get something like that Germany paper in history this year um, and everybody, you know, everybody suffers, it's, you know, you know what I'm talking about. And if, you know, Surely teachers, you know, AQA will teach, you know, will examine something in one way and EdXA will do it another way and OCL will do it another way. And it's up for the teachers um, to decide, well, actually, our students would probably benefit most from going to this because there's more scaffolding or because the questions are a little bit more scholarly. I, I can yeah. understand that you want some choices in that, but you get a one, you get a one government central set exam which could allow for those variations. I don't understand the multiple exam board systems. I don't understand multiple exam board systems with multiple exam board pass rates with multiple exam board different types of questions. And, and it comes down to this. If that is the standard of one um, uh, provider, then people shift to another provider. But then I see this across all, there's, there's mistakes in all of the exam boards I've seen at different levels. And to have the, um, the, the uh, education secretary turn around recently and say, you know, these are the fairest, she said it, these are the fairest way of examining our children. That's not fair. That's not yes. fair on our children. That's not fair that they have worked hard 
And for somewhere along the line, they just pulled their grades down because they made the mistake. The children didn't make the mistake. The teachers didn't make the mistake. But ultimately, who's the one opening the envelope? We're opening the envelope and seeing the grade. And the parents look at us straight away. So we're carrying the cow and we're the face of this. And that's just not fair because then goes back to that level what Hannah's saying. Somebody's sitting down in, 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 in your senior leaders and going, why have your children not done well? And you're going, well, the coursework was pulled down. And the first reaction is going to be, well, whose fault is that then? You know, we will carry the can. We will feel guilty about it. We've got to face those parents and those children. And I feel deeply sorry for those staff that had to face that because mm. it must be infuriating. And, and I, I think it's I think it's important then as TTR, you know, we are by teachers for teachers running this story because it shows teachers and parents and students, many of whom have been in contact with us, that it's not the fault of their teachers and it's not the fault of their colleges and their schools, but actually it's a nationwide issue. And, you know, I think that's why we are TTR and that's why who we are. Um, I'd love to carry on this conversation. Can I just add one thing? I was just going to say, John, before you come in, yeah. as somebody who's marked the same paper for the same example two years in a row. It's been fascinating at standardisation, um, having conversations where I've gone this year, well, clearly it can't get that mark because it hasn't done this. And they've turned around and gone, well, actually, this year we're not paying attention to that. So the standard does change every year. And something, and I've had this a lot with people who have examined GCSE who have gone, well, on this question, we're going to mark very generously this year because the students have done, haven't done very well at it. And then the following year, well, they have done well at it. Well, let's start throwing a few more barriers in. John? I would say my view of exams, the exam season in coursework and taking exams and exam boards and all the games that teachers, we, we all play trying to move our boards around and advise students on how best to treat the exam and so on. The exam season is an exercise in gaslighting of teachers and students every year to convince them that they're in some sort of objective, fair process when exams are truly only accurate or reliable to about one grade either way and they are not not fair not just they're regionally not fair they're class not fair they're privilege not fair and so on there's there's multiple ways in which we skate over this as a society and we have been for years and students leave school thinking well you know i wasn't very good at school and teachers think well we've got to work harder at getting our coursework boundaries a bit more accurate next year and we'll have a look at the ex have a look at the examiner's reports and comment on every little bit of advice we get but it's a gaslighting exercise mm. we have run out of time but we are going to do shows of the week before we finish We're, we've run lots of shows this week and we've had some debut hosts who we're very pleased about um, and we've got some more debut hosts next week as well who we're very pleased about as well and there are still opportunities to host on Teachers Talk Radio all you have to do is fill in the application form ttradio.org forward slash contact for shows of the week I'm going to start with John then Hannah then Brent so John kick us off I'll recommend uh, a good listen with Emily Edwards the late show was on Tuesday Late Show, Tuesday Late Show. Now, she, it was a really good uh, analysis, very articulate, and it was her first show, this me. And she was relaxed and, and analytical on the subject of the stereotypical understanding of history and what history is as a subject, how we think about it and how it's evolved over time. So much more. She was making the case for history being a dynamic, evolving subject and not a dry analysis of the past or looking at the past as a fixed subject. Uh, it's one that um, evolves to meet our times. It was really, really a great listen. Mm, thank you for that, John. Hannah, your show of the week. 
Um, I'm going for Nathan's Twilight Show, which was with um, Scott Brackle and Harriet Moore. Uh, it was on the essentials of reset methodologies in education. Um, as somebody doing their master's, I'm quite enjoying that one. Uh, and also it was about their book. So you can get their book from Sage Publishing with 25% off. So I'll be up there uh, with the code TTR25. In fact, you can get all Sage publica publications 25% off amazingly. All you have to do, as Hannah just said, is use that promo code TTR25 at uk.sagepub.com forward slash books. Brent, your show of a week. Yeah, Andrea's uh, debut show, my, my compatriot, uh, Andrea Hanno, absolutely fantastic. You can tell she has a, a, a sociology and humanities background. She was looking at the prison uh, school paradigm. Um, and she's traveled a while and she's just this is something she's definitely thought about um do schools liberate minds the creativity so that the idea of schools in a post forest post-industrial society uh very much food for thought very very intellectual i uh, enjoyed listening to that so that's that was uh, last night actually i think it was her debut show um yeah it was last night so it was uh, fantastic so that was uh, Foucault's prison school paradigm with um An andrea hannah yeah, and there are a lot of mentions of Jeremy Bentham in there as well in the Panopticon. A really interesting listen. My show of the week, I mean, I had loads. Emily and Andrea's were fantastic and were ones I was going to go for. But actually, I think John Gibbs's um, Friday morning break with Dennis Sherwood was my show of the week because um, Dennis was live for the first half and it was fascinating to hear his thoughts live. And it was great to hear John live um, talking about the exam results that have been and delving into them and you know, looking at this issue that actually they're not reliable. They're only reliable to one grade either way. And actually it'd be much, much better for a student to open their envelope and to see, well, in history, they got, well, probably somewhere between a six and an eight. And in English language, they're probably somewhere between a four and a six, rather than say, well, this is the grade you got. I think it delved very nicely into the issues surrounding the reliability of exam grades. And while I'm not personally convinced about which systems would be less unfair, because I think all systems of assessing have unfairness built in, it certainly makes a very compelling case. That is it for Teachers Talk Radio's weekly review today. Catch up with all of our shows next week, including a debut for Richie Slack tomorrow at 9pm, talking about the recommended novels to teach at Key Stage 3 for English. But it's goodbye from me, it's goodbye from John, it's goodbye from Brenton, it's goodbye from Hannah. A very best of luck to the lionesses who kick off in 22 minutes' time. We'll all be rooting for you, even if Rishi Sunak and Prince William haven't flown out, but then again, they may be saving the environment. Take care, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and see you next week to review the next week in education. Goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.